Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. So I came across this story about Charles Schwab. You've ever heard that name, Charles Schwab? Pretty popular name. I did not know, though. I thought he just did investments. But Charles Schwab, uh, back in the 1930s, uh, owned what they call Bethlehem Steel Company. And uh, if you know anything about the history of that company, as I studied, it was a very successful uh, corporation. Made a lot of money uh, and made Charles Schwab a, a billionaire. So when you begin to think about his business practices, what made him successful? Well, there was a, a gentleman, let me make sure I get his name right, Mr. Um, Ivy Lee was a just a, a business management expert. And so he, uh, through a bunch of persistence, finally got an appointment to see Charles Schwab. And so he sat in Charles Schwab's office and said, Sir, if you will follow my business management practices, then I promise your company will do better than what it is. And so Charles Schwab was interested. And so Charles Schwab said, okay, uh, I'm willing to give you a shot. If uh, your business practices work for my company, then I will pay you whatever you ask me within reason. I can't beat that, can you? And so Mr. Ivey uh, leaned over into his briefcase, pulled out a blank sheet of paper, and he leaned over to Charles Schwab and he said, here, write on this piece of paper the top five things that you have to have accomplished tomorrow. What are the priorities of your day tomorrow? And so he did. He wrote them down. And, and then Mr. Ivey said, okay, now, sir, he said, label them from one to five, one being the most important. What is the top priority thing that you got to get accomplished tomorrow. And so he numbered them and he said, now here's what I want you to do. Starting tomorrow, I want you to begin your day with number one. And I want you to work on number one until it's complete. Then move on to number two until it's complete. And number three and number four and number five, et cetera, et cetera. And every day at the end of your day, I want you to read, write a list, your priorities, number them one through five, and then the next day, work on them. He said, don't worry. If you don't accomplish all your tasks in one day, whatever's left will be the top priority for the next day. So he said, all right, I'll give it a shot. It was so successful that Charles Schwab introduced that to his whole team. It helped his company in such a significant way that he wrote a $25,000 check to Mr. Ivy. But it was in 1930. Now think about how much money that would be today. That's a handsome amount of money in the 1930s. Amen? I mean, I wouldn't mind getting a $25,000 check today. Amen? But think about in the 1930s how much money that really was when people were just not making a lot of money. The whole point, though, of telling you that story is to sort of lead into, I'm going to start a series through the month of August talking about first things first, talking about priorities. You know, we sometimes get our priorities out of whack, don't we? And I'm just praying that perhaps through our time together as we study, that God would get a hold of your priorities. That God would help you to take out a blank sheet of paper and write down some priorities every day on a blank piece of paper, number them from one to five, and just begin to think about, you know, 
can I accomplish this number one today? Can I get number two accomplished? And so as I thought about, you know, how does that play into a sermon series? And where, where do I need to go? What do I need to preach? I thought, you know, you obviously need to preach Jesus because he's number one. Amen. And so I want to preach a very popular verse of scripture that you've heard a million times, but we often forget about it. And we certainly don't make it the number one on our priority list. And that's Matthew 6, verse 33. You all have probably, so many of you could probably quote it in here today and say, well, that's a great verse, preacher. And uh, I hope you may know this verse. But listen to what the Lord Jesus said. But seek first, he says, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then what? All these things shall be added to you. I learned a long time ago that you don't preach one verse without giving context. Because the Bible, listen, if you ever listen to a preacher, always understand this. Every verse has a context. It's called a paragraph. Every paragraph has a context. It's called a chapter. Every chapter has a context. It's called the book of the Bible you're in. And every book of the Bible has a context. It's called the whole of scripture. Don't ever let some preacher fool you into preaching one verse and making it say whatever he wants to say in order to accomplish his goal. That's not what I'm doing this morning. What I want you to understand is that this verse of scripture is found in a context by which Jesus is piggybacking off of talking about money and where your treasure is. And he basically is speaking to, I think, probably speaking to more people, people who have more money than I do, probably richer people who, you know, they lay up all their treasures here on earth. That is, they store up everything they got here and they make no treasure for heaven. That is, they use nothing for the kingdom of God. That is, you know, the offering plate comes by week after week after week after week after week and nothing's ever put inside of that offering. You know, we do the Lottie Moon, they never give the Lottie Moon. They never give to Annie Armstrong. They never give the missions. They never get anything for the kingdom of God. And so week after week after week, month after month after month, they're storing up money in their bank account. They got plenty of it. They're buying whatever they want to buy. They're living large, but they do nothing for the kingdom of God. Jesus said, don't do that. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth. But then he talks to another group of people. And he basically says in a general context to all of us, he says, you cannot serve both God and money. It is impossible to do that. If you put money ahead of God, you're going to hate God. If you put God in front of money, then you're going to use money in the right way. Amen. And that's what he basically says. Then he transitions from that into talking about those of us, those of us who are worry warts. <laughs> and he says, do not worry about your life. And he says, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, and what you're going to wear. And Jesus gives this great exposition, and he helps us to understand that God's got it all taken care of. Amen? That is that don't worry about your life because, listen, life is more, he says, than clothes and food and drink. And if you begin to look at the context, let me just bring down the context for you. As Jesus gives us a statement about worrying, he begins to give us two illustrations. One is an illustration with birds. And he says, look at the birds. Look at the, look at this little bird that's flying around. He doesn't store in barns and yet God is always providing provisions for a little bird. And then he says, you know, as far as clothes are concerned, he said, look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil and spin. In other words, they're not working hard to be what they are. And that is just lilies in a field. He said, but even they, 
Listen, God provides for them. And they're going to be here today and gone tomorrow. But yet even their splendor is better than Solomon's splendor. I mean, Solomon had it made. You read Ecclesiastes. Solomon said he put his hand to do anything he wanted to do. He spent his money anywhere he wanted to spend his money. He had great vineyards. He had a lot of great stuff. And what he tells us is that even Solomon's splendor wasn't as pretty as a natural field of wild lilies. Isn't that amazing how God can do that? And so he says, don't worry about eating and don't worry about, you know, what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. He says, are you not more important than that? Isn't life more than just eating and drinking and wearing clothes? Isn't it more than that? And and we would have to say, yeah, Jesus, you're right. And he said, by the way, even if you worry about those things, can it really extend your life? You know, we think that worry is going to help us. Worry is our enemy. Worry will destroy our lives. They find that people who worry, you know, that's why you got to take some medications, try to calm yourself down, you know? It's like, who? just give me one of those Xanax. I will calm down a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And so, you know, you don't, you know so we, we worry about things that are things that God already has us taken care of. You know, David said in the Psalms, he said, I've been old and I've been... I've been young and I've been old. He said, I've never seen God's children beg for bread. God has always taken care of his children. Will he not take care of you? And that's Jesus' whole argument down through the whole process is God will take care of you. God will take care of you. And he, he does that in all of those verses, really in a negative context, in a negative way. He's saying, you're worrying. You think you're going to add to your life. It's not going to help you. You know, you're worrying. You shouldn't be worrying about clothes. God's you know, put the lilies in the field. You, you're worrying about food. God feeds the little bird. You know, in the negative context, he keeps saying, why are you worrying? Stop worrying. And that's the, whole time, that's the whole context there. Stop worrying. Well, what is the cure? Well, the cure is verse 33. The cure for worrying is to seek God first, to seek his kingdom and his righteousness. That's how we can defeat worry is seeking God. But I want you to understand something today. That that is the context of what Jesus is preaching. But can I tell you, the context of that goes beyond just worry. But it should be the pattern for the life of the believer. Amen? The believer should be people that at the top of our list, of our blank sheet of paper, every day we put, seek God and his kingdom, and his righteousness, and that's what we ought to do first. That ought to be our priority, and then everything else ought to fall beyond that. My job, whatever I got to accomplish on my job. Listen, I'm a preacher. Every day I get to look into the word and study the word, but listen, that's not my primary. My primary is to seek God's face. My primary is to pray and to seek the Father for my own life, to feed my own life, to let him impact my own life before I can ever get up here and impact your life. That's why you cannot put a number of hours on preparation for sermons. Because, listen, let me tell you something. It is all my life. (laughs) Amen? A lot of times what God is saying to me, I share because that's what I know. Amen? And so here we want to talk about the priorities. And I'm hoping that God today will begin to reprioritize your life. That you will begin to see not just that it is prudent to do that, but that if you want to avoid worry in your life, and if you want to be a, a Christian who quits doing this bob up and down thing in our Christian walk and have more times of, of growth and more times of walking with God, then it's going to take the priority of setting God to be first in our life. So let's look at the text. Listen to it again. Let it ring in your ears, but then let it, let it 
just resonate down into your heart. Listen to what Jesus says. He says to us, but seek first the kingdom. Jesus makes a hard transition there. That word, but is a hard transition. He's saying, you know, rather than having all this worry, rather than being tied up. And by the way, let me tell you something. When Jesus talks about worry, you notice he throws the word Gentile in the text. Jesus said, it is the, it is the lost people. Listen, it should be the world that is worry warts. Amen. They're the ones that ought to be all tied up about what's going to be eaten, what's going to be drunk and what kind of food's going to be. They're the ones that ought to worry about that stuff. And listen, let me tell you the world, they do take care of themselves. Amen. And they do worry about that. Let me tell you something. I went to J.C. Penney yesterday because I needed a new pair of blue jeans. And so when I went in there to buy a new pair of blue jeans, I thought like the world thought. I thought, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to find me some cool-looking jeans. And after I find those cool-looking jeans, doesn't matter what they cost, I'm going to buy those jeans. Then I went inside and I found out cool-looking jeans cost 50 bucks. And uh, I wasn't going to spend $50 on a pair of jeans. So I ended up buying a pair of jeans that were J.C. Penney brand. And when I got to the register, they were half off. And then, praise God, he blessed me even further. The little girl behind the counter said, do you have a rewards card? I said, nope, don't have a rewards card. She said, but I'll give you 15% off anyway. So I got another 15% off. So I paid 18 bucks for the pair of jeans I'm wearing here today. I did good. But I say that to tell you, listen, the world worries about labels. Christians shouldn't be worrying about labels. Amen? The world is all bent up on, are you wearing the top labels? We ought not be worrying about that. Listen, I, I learned a long time ago when I was in high school, I wore all the labels. I can remember, listen, guys, I can remember when the Gap was cool to shop at. Amen? How many remember that? The Gap, you can shop at the Gap. You know I mean? It was like you got some cool clothes at the Gap. That was back in the 80s, you know? I wouldn't go to the Gap today, but you can get some cool, cool clothes there. And I did. Every paycheck I got when I worked at Dairy Queen, I went to the mall and I got Gap clothes. And I wore some nice sweaters. I wore some nice pants. I even had parachute pants back in the day. And I cared about, listen, I cared about the labels. I wanted to make sure my labels were right. Then I got married and realized I was broke when I started having kids. And all my labels came from Walmart. But let me just tell you the reality of that is though. The difference in my life, honestly, was not just the fact that I was married and had kids and, and was broke. The, really, the, the honest difference was that I had Jesus in my heart and it didn't really matter anymore. I didn't have to try to be the cool kid. I didn't have to try to be the one to impress everybody that looked and saw my clothes. What I realized was that my life as I became a Christian was altered by the fact that I ought to seek God. That I ought to, I ought to seek his approval. I ought to seek what his word has to say about how I dress and how I live. And so my life began to be altered. And what I'm trying to tell you today is by asking God to redirect your priorities is that your life today will be altered to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, if you're going to do that, let me just give you some things to have to hang your hat on this morning. Some truth in which you can write down in your heart. And that is this. First of all, if you are going to make God the priority of your heart, you're going to have to begin where Jesus said, but seek. The word means that you're going to have to seek God. And it takes, listen, it takes focus. It doesn't automatically happen. Amen. Amen? It's interesting. You know, I can lock myself in a room and I can read the word. And it's still interesting how there'll be distractions. Can I get an amen? I can engage with God in prayer and I'm praying. And it's interesting how in the middle of my prayer, some thought comes up. That is not necessarily an unholy thought, but there's some thought that comes up on, oh, did I take care of this project? Did I do this thing? Have I called this person? Can I get an amen? You with me? But listen, 
I'll never have moments with God if I don't at least shut my door, get into my inner sanctum, and spend some time with him. Amen? And that's what we have to do. It takes focus. Listen, I have to turn my phone off. I have to turn my Apple Watch off. Because one time I forgot to do that, and it did something. And I was like, ah, you know, that's sort of in the way now, you know? So I have to turn my Apple Watch off, and I have to block everybody out. Because if I don't do that, then there's no focus. So it takes focus. It doesn't happen automatically. There, there's no, no one of us in this room wakes up in the morning and just goes, well, I'm just naturally seeking Jesus today. No, it's, it's a focus. It's, a, it's something that I have to set my heart to do. It's, it's something that is a priority in my morning and in my time pursuing after the Lord. And that word, by the way, seek, means literally our aim. What is your aim every day? What are you striving for every day? Some of you are striving to be the best employee you can be, and that's great. Be a great employee. Some of you are striving to have a million dollars by the time you're 40. Amen. Strive to have a million dollars by the time you're 40. But let me tell you something. Along those journeys, if you put God aside, listen, you may accomplish your goal, but you'll be spiritually bankrupt. Amen? Amen. You'll be spiritually bankrupt. And so he says, is our aim. What is our aim this morning? What are we striving after? What are we desiring for? And I got to thinking about, you know, what does it mean as we, we aim and as we strive for? What, is, what does that mean for my life? Well, in the immediate context, that means that I find my contentment in seeking God. Amen. I do not find contentment. Listen, Jesus just talked about worry and he said, worry comes because I'm seeking what I'm going to eat, what I'm going to drink, and what I'm going to wear. Now, those were the common necessity things of life. And listen, we in our modern day, we don't really understand it because we got everything. Can I get an amen to that? We got everything. We have more than enough clothes to wear during the week. We got enough food in our house. None of us are really starving to death. You know, but the early Christians, listen, for them, you know, they had more than one set of clothes. That was a blessing. You know, if they had plenty of food to eat, that's a blessing. And so Jesus is saying, listen, what is it today? What could we equate it to today that we worry and we struggle about in our society, in our lives, that we let consume us, bring worry into our lives that we think we got to have, that are just basic necessities that God will take care of. See, we're not content. And if we're going to seek after God, listen, first of all, we need to understand we got to be content with him. Amen. The second thing I would say is there, listen, there's a lot of people who want acceptance. But listen, when I seek after God, I find my acceptance. Amen? I find that I'm a child of the king. I find that he bought me with his blood and that I'm precious and that I'm valuable. And I find my acceptance in him. And I don't have to worry about him I accepted. Listen, some of you are looking for joy in all the wrong places. But I'm going to tell you what, there's no greater joy than in Jesus. And you ought to know that because I preached through Philippians and you heard a lot of sermons out of Philippians. So you ought to know all about the joy of the Lord. We have to listen. We have to seek God. So what does that mean? Write these three things out. Do the practice, put these on your list to practice. First of all, that means it impacts my devotional life. That means that I seek him in prayer and in the word and maybe sometimes in life in fasting. My devotional. What is your devotional life like? Do you set time aside to spend with God? I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. Listen, I wouldn't dare do that. We went to a men's conference this weekend, and some of the guys brought up this idea of journaling. You know, and both of the guys talk about journaling. Both confess. You know, they start off strong and get weak. You know, 
I mean, that's sometimes the way our devotions go, right? Sometimes our devotions start off strong. We have these great intentions at the beginning of the year, but then they sort of wean as the time goes on. Listen, let's just make that a priority. Just put that on your blank list at the top so you can seek God and say, that's going to be my priority. I, the first thing I'm going to do that when I get out of bed is I'm going to spend my time reading the Word. And listen, some of you, you read the Word every day and praise God for you. But listen, those of you who are not reading the Word every day, let me encourage you. It's not about reading 10 chapters today. Listen, God has spoken to me sometimes in a verse. And I've, I've not been able to get out of a verse in my devotional. He's saying, well, you're a preacher. Listen, I got the same Holy Spirit you have. Or you have the same Holy Spirit I have. Amen? And he can speak to you in a verse. So it's not about running through the Bible as fast as you can. It's admirable to read the Bible through in a year. But it's not necessarily about running through the Bible as fast as you can. It's about saying, God, speak to me through the Word. Because that's how God speaks to us today. Remember? That's what he said in Hebrews, right? He spoke to us in these latter days through his Son. And his son is all written about in the word, right? The Bible. We read the Bible. We say, God, speak to us. Then we pray and we seek God in prayer. And God sometimes will speak through our prayer meeting, our prayer time with him. Listen, not always do I hear, I don't don't hear this audible voice. Mike, this is what you need to do. You know, or Mike, you're my beloved son in whom well pleased. I don't hear those kinds of things, but my heart does. Amen. When I'm praying and I'm seeking God's face. The second thing, let me say, that not only is your devotional life, but listen, what about a disciplined life? You gotta be disciplined to seek God, amen? Again, nothing happens by happenstance. Everything that we try to do, we have to do by struggle. <laughs> we have to do by working at it. And it's the same seeking after God. I have to discipline myself. That may mean setting the alarm earlier and getting up earlier. Saying, oh, no, here we go again. You'll make me feel guilty because I sleep it in the morning. All right, well, maybe your best time's at lunchtime. Maybe you'll spend a half an hour of your lunch that you get for an hour. And, you know, you say, oh, I don't get an hour for lunch. I get a half an hour. Okay, well, maybe you'll spend the first 15 minutes saying, I'm going to get alone by myself in my car, maybe at work, and I'm going to pray and seek God. You know, you say, well, it's too hot to get in the car and do that. Okay, well, find a place inside you can do that. You know, you see what I'm saying? We have all kinds of excuses why we don't do it. But the reality is we don't do it because we don't want to do it. We're not disciplined to do it. I learned a long time ago from a farmer. I was working, a, working in my house, and I had a little plot of ground. We turned into a little uh, garden, well, about a football-sized garden. And I really didn't want a garden that big, but my farmer friend thought I needed one that big. And one day we were out there working, and I was complaining about something that somebody had said or something that somebody had did. And he said, now, preacher, I'm just going to tell you. This guy's 80 years old. He said, preacher, I'm going to tell you. I said, yes, Pop, what are you going to tell me? He said, people are going to do what people want to do. I said, whew, you're right. You're right. And then that's the fact. If we want to seek God, we'll seek God. If we don't want to seek God, we're not going to seek God. And we're not going to do it in our devotional life. We're not going to do it by being disciplined. The third thing is, can I tell you that we seek God by our duty, being dutiful towards God. That means service, serving God. Are we serving God? Say, how's that seeking God? Listen, when I serve people, I'm serving Jesus. Amen? At least that's the way it ought to be. Not about serving myself, my own agenda, making myself look good. When I serve others, I'm serving Jesus, and that's what it's all about. And so am I seeking God? Am I focused? Second thing he says in there, notice the text. But seek, and there he is, first. So not only is it about focus, but it's also about priority, right? Am I going to make that a priority? Jesus says, first. First in the idea of priority. Before you seek after food, before you seek after drink, before you seek after clothing, seek after God, right? That is first in the list. And that should be all of our lives, right? Do you agree with me? The context doesn't extend not just to 
food and clothing and worry, but it extends to everything that we do in life. Am I seeking God first? Is he first in my life? Jesus says that it ought to be a consuming priority. It's an extremely important priority. God, over and over in his word throughout the Old and New Testament, has been telling us to seek him. Listen to Deuteronomy 4.29. But from there, he says, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you seek him. There it is. With all your heart, with all your soul. Psalm 27.8. Listen to what David said. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Isaiah 55, 6 says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. The father desires, listen, the father desires for his children to seek him. How many of y'all have grown children out of the house? Raise your hand. We have grown children out of the house, okay? I don't know about you, but sometimes my grown children who are out of my house won't call for a lengthy period of time. You ever had that happen? And you're like, Okay, they must have died because surely they love their daddy. And then they get home and find out they love their mama more. They talk to her. So, you know, but they go long periods of time without calling us. And you know what happens when they go long periods of time calling us? I, I begin to worry. I begin to think, okay, well, I hope everything's okay. Hope everything's well. So what do I do? I pick up my cell phone and I call them. And I say, hey, just want to check on you. Let you know dad loves you. You know, we'll make sure everything's kosher. Everything's okay. You know, that's what thing. Can I just tell you that through the word of God, as we study the word of God, God is constantly pushing us to himself saying, listen, I want to commune with you. I want to fellowship with you. I desire for us to get together. You're saying, is that true? Well, look at the Bible. We just read some verses about it. You know, Jesus himself said, if you seek, you find. Amen. Constantly God is calling us. Here's the problem. Many of us are saying, and many of us are giving this false statement. Many of us are saying, well, you know, I'm looking for God, but he's just not finding me. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. You're not really looking for God if you're not finding him. Because God promised you, if you seek him, you find him. Let me, let me just read it again, right? Listen, Deuteronomy 4.29 again. But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him when you seek for him with all your heart and with all your soul. Here's the problem. The problem is we're seeking God. We want him to bless our plans. We're seeking God. We want him to give us something. No wonder we feel disconnected because we're not seeking the, the Father for the Father. We're not seeking Him to give Him praise and honor and glory and saying, God, whatever you do in my life, listen, if I don't have food on the table tonight, you're still good. You're still glorious. You're still worthy to be sought. But that's not what we do. Amen? And what we do is we get into a pinch and we say, well, now I'm going to try to find God because I'm in a pinch. I need God. God, I need you to get me out of this situation. I need you to change my circumstance when all the rest of our life, we're not even seeking, we're not even talking, we're not even looking for God. But we want him to be our bailout guy, amen? It's like this one call I got when I was in Dover, Delaware. I was a cop when I was in Dover in the air, air base and I got this call, you, you'll like this. I got this call from this boy who was dating my niece and it was really from the state trooper. The state trooper said, hey, I got so-and-so here at the jailhouse. Uh, I picked him up for DUI and he said to call you. I said, well, I'm glad he said to call me. I said, you tell him I said, have a good night. (laughs) And I left him there. Now, let me, let me just tell you that boy, that boy didn't care about me. That boy didn't even like me, but you know what he thought? He's a cop on the air base. Maybe he can get me out of this. That's what he thought, isn't it? You know, you've been there, you know, I thought you have a good night. I have no sympathy for that kind of stuff. 
But let me tell you what, isn't that how we treat God? God, I got a DUI. Will you help me out of it? That may not really, you get the point. You get, you get what I'm trying to say. And so we have to seek God. Listen, it has to be a matter of our focus. Are we focusing, looking, seeking after God? Is it a matter of our priority? Is he our priority or is he our secondary? But that's not all Jesus said in the text. Look back at the text. He says to us, seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says his righteousness. Let me talk about this kingdom factor because it's, a, it's also about, seeking God is also about submission. Do you know what submission means? We, we, why do we make that term such a bad term today? You know, we talk about wives submitting to their husbands. Why do we make that a bad term? We make that seem like, you know, we're enslaving somebody. Now, that's probably the world's view of submission is to enslave somebody, but that's certainly not God's view. You know who the greatest submitter was, right? The Lord Jesus submitted to the Father, went to the cross, and died for you and rose for you. Aren't you glad that he submitted to the Father's plan? Aren't you glad that Jesus said not only that, the Holy Spirit would come and the Holy Spirit submits because the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He doesn't take credit for everything. What does the Holy Spirit do? He points you to Jesus. It was by the power of the Holy Spirit who illuminated the gospel in your heart that you got saved. Thank God he's a submitter. There's nothing wrong with submission. It's not a negative word. It is a positive word. It is to place oneself under the authority of another. And so what am I doing? Jesus said, if I'm going to seek God, if he is going to be the priority of my life, then I have to understand that it's about submitting myself under his authority. Amen? Where's his authority? I find it in here, don't I? I find it in this book. Everything that God's told me, everything God wants me to know, I find right here in the Bible. I have to study it, read it, learn it, regurgitate it back and forth a few times in order that I begin to walk out in a life of submission. That's what the kingdom's all about. And that kingdom of God that has come, listen, it is, it is yes now, but it is yes future, right? The problem for many Christians is we're living for the future kingdom. Not in the sense of laying our treasure up, but we're looking for that day. We keep looking for that day. Well, in that day, I'll be in heaven. But now I'm going to take charge of my life and I'm going to live as if there is no kingdom. And I'm going to live as if it's my kingdom. And we're going to live the way we want to live rather than saying to ourselves, I'm living in the kingdom now. The kingdom of God is his sovereign rule that is here and now. And what does that mean? That means living in his kingdom means I seek his will. And I want to live under his will and his rule, not my own. I can just tell you, listen, the times of my life when Mike's in charge, it don't go too well. Okay? I'll just tell you, it does not go well. Can you say that about your life? When you're at the reins, it doesn't go so well. Now, sometimes life is just life. Amen? There's some things we can't do about it. But sometimes we hurt ourselves by thinking, I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to run in there. I'm going to fix this problem. I'm going to run in there. I'm going to change this person. (laughs) You can't change anybody. So God's kingdom is both present, but it's future. And so now what Jesus is saying to those people that he's talking to, he's saying to us, as I'm going to seek God, listen, I'm going to place myself under the submission of his will and his rule and his authority in my life. In other words, Mike isn't in charge. Listen to what Paul said. Paul grasps this very well in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Listen to what he says. Whom you have from God, God gave it to you. But listen to what he says. And you are not your own. He says, you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
Paul said we are to live our lives now seeking God, focusing that priority. Listen, we ought to make sure that we put ourselves in submission to him and say, God, what do you want from my life? Can I just tell you that when I got saved and I started in my Christian journey, I was on fire for the Lord and, and I sensed pretty close that God wanted me to preach. I told you that when I was 10 years of age, you've heard me say before, I told my parents I needed a Bible because I thought I was going to be a Catholic priest. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's by accident. I I think that's a humorous story because they brought me a a big family Bible. You know, those ones that are about 55 pounds, you know. And so, you know, 10-year-old carrying a 55-pound Bible. That's, it's kind of funny to think about, but I think about my life and think, God, why would you at 10 years old put that in my heart? Think about this. Think, Think with me now for a minute, okay? Then I get saved at 17. Seven years later, I come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He saves me in New Jersey. I begin this wonderful journey of changed life, and God is doing some things in my life. And before I leave for the Air Force, God burdens my heart to preach. And I'm like, oh, my word. God wants me to preach. So I, I preached the message at my little home church at First Baptist Church, Browns Mills, before I left. And I'm sure those poor people heard the worst sermon they've ever heard. And so, you know, I, I went into the Air Force, and I sort of said, you know what? I'm going to do it Mike's way. I'm going to go in the Air Force, and my goal is to be an E-9. That's my goal, and I worked hard to do that until I sat in a service like this, a revival service, and, and God spoke directly to me. It was like nobody else was in the house. God spoke directly to me, and Marina's like, you're fidgety. I'm like, because God is speaking. And God had already put it in Marina's heart. Marina already knew if God was moving me that way. My pastor knew that. And finally, I said, you know, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I can't be in the Air Force I got to be a preacher. That's what God called me to do. You know, can I just tell you that my life was on a fast track doing what I wanted to do. And I could have done what I wanted to do. But at the end of my life, I can promise you that I would have been full of regrets, full of anger, and full of disappointment. Because I would have said, God, your will is not important. But now I do what I do. And, you know, David made a little hint this morning about sometimes it's not an easy job. And sometimes it's not. You know, when you've got 150, 60, 90 people trying to keep happy, it's not easy to do. But my job is not to make you happy anyway. My job is to feed you the word. But you know, there's some times where it is difficult. There's some times where you make great friends with people and they die. And you miss them dearly. You know, I think of C.B. often. I think of Brother Dick often. You know, I think of Billy often. I think of great men that I, I've served with and I love dearly. And they go to be with Jesus, how hard it is sometimes. But I think the greatest joy that i found in my life is to get out of the Air Force and serve God. Now, I don't say that to boost me. I'm just trying to tell you something, that I wanted to be in the Air Force. And sometimes, my, even in my mind, I go, boy, if I'd been nice, oh, I'd have had 30 years in, I could be retired, I could have a nice check, probably could own a boat, probably have some other things. You know, sometimes we convince ourselves of it. But let me just tell you something, folks. I've been miserable. Are you going to say, I'm going to seek first his kingdom Am I going to live for the kingdom or am I going to live for myself? We have to make that decision. Because listen, he brought us into the kingdom when we were bankrupt. All you got to do is read Matthew 5, 3. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He realized we were bankrupt and Jesus changed our situation by saving us. And he brought us in to be part of the kingdom of God. The last thing I want to tell you, listen, he says, seek first the kingdom. And then look what he says, don't miss it in his righteousness. Can I tell you, our lives are not lived in our own righteousness. We have none. The only righteousness I have is like Paul expressed in Philippians, remember? 
he says, and the, and, and the righteousness that I have is not, that's of my own. It's been what? It's been given to me. It's been imputed to me by Jesus Christ. I have his righteousness. I'm not going to heaven because I somehow become this great guy and I'm going to heaven. No, I'm going to heaven because the righteousness of Jesus Christ has been imputed to me, given to me, and it has made me fit for heaven. But that's not all Jesus is saying. Listen, if you're in the house today and you don't know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, I pray you submit to the gospel. I pray that God would illuminate your heart with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he would draw you by the power of his spirit and you would be saved. I pray that happens to you in this room. That is the first priority. But listen, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as citizens of the kingdom, listen, listen to me. We have his righteousness. Now what is Jesus telling us? Live holy. Live holy. Practice righteousness. Amen? You and I cannot begin bankrupt, get saved and get his righteousness to live a bankrupt life. That would be silly. If I was bankrupt and somebody wrote me a gazillion dollar check and I put it in the bank, I wouldn't just go to the bank account and look at it every day. I would be on a cruise after cruise after cruise after cruise after cruise, I promise you. I would be building wells in Africa where they need wells. I'd be helping build churches in Brazil where they're trying to build churches. I would be helping send little recorder things across the lines in Syria to Muslim people who need to hear the gospel. You're saying, no, you wouldn't. Well, I pray I would. Amen? I pray I would, but I can tell you my point is I wouldn't leave the money in the bank. Why is it that we say, well, okay, we're righteous, we're fit to go to heaven, we got our fire insurance, but I don't have to live holy. That's a bunch of hogwash. And Johnny Hunt says that's in the Greek. Isn't that what he said, guys? So let me just tell you all something. We have to live holy lives. Amen? Now, the holy life that we live is not so we can make ourselves better. It's not so we can make ourselves feel good about ourselves. It's not so that we can go around and say, look at me, look at me. And it's certainly not to buy our salvation. But as a result of Christ's glory in me, as a result of his righteousness given to me, I begin to live a life practically holy unto God. Amen? Listen to what Peter says. No, no amen on that because we don't like doing it, do we? We like to live the way we want to live. And sometimes that means putting up with sins in our life that we ought not put up with. Let's just be honest. Amen? We got sin that we tolerate in our lives and we shouldn't be tolerating because we're called to live holy. You know, Paul said in Romans 6, just read Romans 6, you'll find it's true. Paul said in Romans 6, so we continue to sin that grace may abound. So just because we've been lavishly given this grace, should I just live my life the way I want to live until I get to heaven and say, well, it's all going to be covered under the blood. It's all taken care of. No big deal. Paul says, may goinoito, may it never be said of us. That's what it means. May it never be said of us. He said, stop presenting your instruments. That is the parts of your body as instruments to sin. That is live a holy life. Listen, folks, we got to quit putting up with sin. He says in first Peter one, Peter writes to us, he says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. How in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy for I am holy. Again, it's not trying to work up some holiness in my life. Listen, it's living out the righteousness that he's given me. Amen? It's the power of Jesus Christ in me that makes me who I am. Romans 12, 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, listen, 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 as a living sacrifice, holy acceptable unto God. Holy acceptable. Listen, we don't want to present to God our junk. I don't want to come to worship here on Sunday morning and have a bunch of sin in my heart 
and hide some, try to hide some things from God. Because God, listen, you can hide, but God will find you. Adam and Eve knows that to be the case. And so we come to worship and we lift our hands up and we sing and we, we shout about how great God is and how glorious heaven is going to be. But then we go out of here on Monday through Friday or Monday through Saturday and we do things that show God he's not the priority in our life. And we, we tolerate sin in our life and then we justify it. You know, cut somebody off and I've done it. I, somebody cuts me off. And I'm like, and I, you jerk, you stupid, you dummy, you can't drive, all that stuff I say. And then I say, they drove right, I wouldn't be this way. The reality is, doesn't matter how they drove, I'm that way because I'm a stinking, filthy, rotten, stinking sinner. Amen? And it's only by the righteousness of Jesus Christ, him living in me. Listen, and that's only going to happen, listen, it's only going to happen when I seek him. And I make him the priority. And his kingdom is before my kingdom. And his righteousness is more important to me to, to, than, than the way I want to live. Amen? That's the only way it's going to happen. I feel like we've been in revival this morning. Amen? <laughs> but the reality is, will we respond? You know, we went to a men's conference this weekend. I don't know what, what God said. I don't remember. We had listened to so many good sermons. and Well, almost all good sermons, but... Well, this is some good, good stuff this weekend. And, and let me just tell you that one of the guys made a, a very excellent, it was Johnny Hunt, I remember now. Johnny Hunt made a very excellent point to those men. He said, guys, he said, when was the last time, when was the last time you responded when God's man preached? When was the last time you responded when God spoke to you? When was the last time? You know, as, 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 as he was saying that, I got to thinking, you know, it's been a long time since I've been in the altar. It's been a long time. Can I, can I just confess, me, you know, I'm always vulnerable with you guys. You know that. I don't have nothing to hide. I'm an open book, and maybe sometimes I shouldn't be. But, you know, not this last Lord's Supper, but the supper before that, I almost didn't take the Lord's Supper. I, I was battling some things in my heart. I was struggling with some things. And, and I'll tell you why I did take the Lord's Supper. Because I knew you were watching me. No, you were looking at me. Tim knows because him and I talked about this. And I don't know if you remember, Tim, but it grieved my heart. I thought, you know, Lord, and I, and I told Tim, I said, if God kills me this week, you tell everybody it's because I took the Lord's Supper and I wasn't supposed to. Did I tell you that? I called my friend Brad. I said, Brad, I've never done this in my life. I said, I felt so convicted and yet I took it. And I said, Brad, if I die, you're going to have to preach my funeral. But you tell everybody it's because I took the Lord's Supper. Because I believe God's word's true. Amen? I believe it's true. I guess my point is, as I think about what Johnny Hunt said yesterday, and I challenge you today, the altar, it's not special in the sense there's a magic wand, as he said. It's not a magic wand that God's going to do something and your magic. But it is that word that I used earlier in the sermon. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness is to submit. And there's something about coming to the altar in front of a bunch of people that is a way of submitting that's committed. I'm going to tell you what. Daniel tell us, if a Muslim person gets baptized publicly, that's serious business, isn't it? Listen, we've forgotten to do serious business with God, haven't we? You know, we listen to quaint sermons, we hear sermons like this, and we get stirred in our hearts. 
But like Johnny also said, and I keep piggybacking on him, but it was so good. Good intentions, they fall to the ground. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.